Hello, I'm Matt, and this is Ghostthropology. The show will feature ghost folklore, which includes both well-known stories and small personal encounters, all ultimately unverifiable, but all presented by people as true. I will tell you the story, after which I will discuss the elements of the story that I think are particularly interesting. While I don't know when, where, or how you were listening to this, I hope it's dark outside, as that is the best time for ghost stories. Episode 35, Poveglia Island, Italy In the water near Venice sits Poveglia Island, a curious place on the whole. The island has clearly been modified by humans. It has far too many straight lines and smooth curves in its outline to be completely natural. The island has served as a private residence, a military fort, as a waiting station for ships entering Venice, and finally, as a hospital. Stories hold that the Romans used it as a quarantine station for plague victims, and that the same was done with victims of the Black Plague, whose bodies were then buried in plague pits, that is, mass graves of plague victims. Many of the bodies are said to have been burned, and it has been claimed that the ashes have created a distinctive dust covering the island. Of course, there are those who say that the bodies burned in furnaces were not always dead. Someone who was weak enough to not put up a fight, but still alive, would be fed to the fires just like a corpse. While the Black Plague, as well as other diseases that hit Venice over the centuries, had a low survival rate, it was not zero. Therefore, it is possible that some of those said to have been burned alive might have recovered if they hadn't been straight-up murdered. Most of these grisly stories hold that over 160,000 people died over the course of the island's history, and the presence of the dead is said to still lurk on the island, making it a dark and foreboding place approached only by the brave. Typically, non-specific stories of strange shadows, disembodied voices, and shoves, or even blows from unseen assailants abound. The island was used between the late 18th and early 19th century as a quarantine spot for ships seeking to enter Venice. And while this seemed to be more orderly and less traumatic as a part of standard commercial and disease prevention procedure during those decades, it still resulted in many people, some of whom may have been ill and may have died, spending time on the island while waiting to enter the city. The location was later used for agriculture, as its soils were reputed to be very good for growing plants. Oh, and uh, the pits in which the remains were placed? They are said to be below the area that was used for growing wine grapes. How's that for a strange vintage? Naturally, the dead didn't stay down. Those who have been confined to or visited the island report seeing specters ranging from Roman soldiers to 19th century sailors. Shadows are often said to be glimpsed just out of the corner of the eye, and there is an amorphous mist that seems to wander the island as if guided by some intelligence. More on that in a bit. More recent visitors report catching voices on recordings, voices that were not audible at the time the recordings were made, known as EVP, or Electronic Voice Phenomenon. The sources I could find were vague on what those voices were saying, or perhaps screaming. But of course, such recordings are commonly made in places with a reputation for being haunted, so it's only natural that they would be made at Poveglia. In 1922, a psychiatric hospital was built on the island. Legend says that patients were overseen by a very literal mad scientist. 
a psychiatrist by the name of Dr. Nikilovich, who performed cruel experiments upon his charges, as well as crude surgeries performed using drills, picks, hammers, and chisels. Dr. Nikilovich is reputed to have performed other additional acts of cruelty with no pretense towards research. It is said that this psychiatrist eventually completely snapped. After telling other hospital employees that he had encountered ghosts, he climbed the bell tower, in which some stories hold he had performed his grisly work, and flung himself towards the ground. He survived the fall, but the white mist, possibly composed of human ashes, rose from the ground, enveloped, and then strangled him. In addition to the torments inflicted on them by Dr. Nikilovich, the patients are also said to have seen ghosts of Roman and Renaissance plague bearers, and to have heard disturbing whispers emanating from the walls of the building. In fact, in some tellings, it was the patients witnessing these spirits that caused the psychiatrist to engage in his experiments. Initially assuming that the patients' visions of spirits were some sort of shared delusion, he sought to put a stop to them through the use of primitive brain surgery. One final story holds that the last group who attempted to settle on the island was a family that had been granted permission to build a vacation home. After the home was completed, they cut their first night short when their daughter was attacked by something, and her face was split open. The injury required 20 stitches. And, of course, stories hold that the evil psychiatrist was buried in the bell tower, and that people in Venice can hear the bell toll at night and some say that a light can be seen intermittently through the bell tower windows. Sleep well, Venetians. Commentary Supernatural claims aside, Poviglia has an interesting history. In the early 5th century, people from Padua and Este settled on the island, fleeing from the barbaric invasions unfortunately common in Italy during the late Roman Empire. People continued to settle on the island, and, over the centuries, a series of structures were built as the town formed. In 1379, Venice and Genoa went to war, and the people of the island were removed, and the island was converted for military use. A fort known as the Octagon was built, and the island became the home of a proper medieval town, but it was abandoned in the 14th century. A couple of sources say that in 1576, when the Black Death hit Venice, the local authorities took the bodies of victims to Poveglia to dump them into mass graves. But from what I could find, it appears that it was not, in fact, Poveglia, but another island that was used for this purpose. Mass graves of plague victims were pretty common throughout Europe during the outbreak. In a place like Venice, where the land is at a premium, an uninhabited island would be a good dumping ground. But it does not appear that Poveglia was used in this way. Although I would not be surprised if documentation eventually surfaces indicating otherwise. 200 years later, in 1777, the island came under the jurisdiction of the Magistrato alla Senita, or as we'd call it in English, the public health department, and became a checkpoint for ships entering and leaving Venice. In 1793, cases of plague were identified on two ships, and the island was used as a quarantine station for those who were suffering the illness. Lodgings were built to accommodate. 
Napoleon Bonaparte made this function permanent in 1804, but the lodgings were demolished in 1814. It was again used as a quarantine station in the early 20th century. And then, in 1922, a hospital was built on the island to provide long-term care to the mentally ill. The construction of isolated hospitals for the mentally ill was not uncommon in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, and many such hospitals were built throughout Europe and North America at that time. Given this history, it's only natural that the island is home to a whole host of ghost stories. Even for Venice, a place that boasts more than its share of ghost stories, the island is invitingly creepy. It is officially off-limits, but a quick Google search reveals that so many people have managed to spend the night there that the ban is clearly poorly enforced. This has, therefore, become quite the destination for legend trippers. But, as it is hard to reach, it's not a place that just any legend tripper can visit. You need resources such as a boat and the willingness to skirt the law to go somewhere forbidden. This is elite-level legend tripping. And the photos shared online, accompanied by write-ups from those who have visited the island, really do lend themselves to this not being the adolescent rite of passage legend trip, as most neighborhood haunted places are, but rather as a bucket list luxury commodity for the truly tasteful and distinguished legend trippers. I've observed in previous episodes that just as many North American hauntings are blamed on usually non-existent native burial grounds, it is common for European hauntings to be attributed to the disposal of the bodies of plague victims. This is natural enough. Both the massive medieval Black Plague and other less deadly but nonetheless dangerous disease outbreaks or plagues have left their mark on the European psyche, and it would be surprising if these locations were not said to play host to the spirits of the unquiet dead. I suspect that this speaks to an uneasiness with both the amount of death and the need for non-personalized burial, which goes against the norm for most human cultures. That being said, the use of this location as a psychiatric hospital deserves some special examination. In the case of infectious disease, isolated hospitals often met the needs of the community. In the days when the germ theory for disease was still being worked out, and when the mechanics of contagion were still being discovered, placing contagious people far away made sense. However, removing the mentally ill from society didn't really meet a need, but it did make people more comfortable by ensuring that they did not have to come face-to-face -face with people who were suffering. To make matters worse, it was, until recently, common for people who were not actually mentally ill to be placed in psychiatric hospitals. Sometimes the alleged mental illness was a neurological problem and not a mental illness at all, such as epilepsy. In other cases, someone might be considered mentally ill because their sexual orientation or gender presentation did not match societal expectations. In still other cases, it might be people who didn't meet some other social norm, such as women who had sex outside of marriage or children who expressed defiance towards their parents. I don't know for certain that people in any of these categories were placed at Poveglia, but given the history of why people were placed within psychiatric hospitals up through the second half of the 20th century, it is likely that it housed at least some patients who matched these categories. And psychiatric hospitals have a history of neglect and abuse of patients, resulting in these places often being seen as places of torment for the patients rather than care or healing. Naturally, locations with such a history are now reputed to be haunted. But this tendency to label old psychiatric hospitals as haunted has some troubling implications. 
Historian Sarah Handley Cousins has argued that the stories of frightening supernatural happenings at asylums and psychiatric hospitals reflects a general stigmatization of the mentally ill and further reinforces this stigma by framing the treatment facilities as places to be feared due to the lingering presence of these people or of their spirits and therefore psyches. I think that there is merit to Dr. Handley Cousins' argument, but I also think that this is much more complex than she portrays it. While the haunted asylum or psychiatric facility is a staple of supernatural lore, the hauntings are not due solely to the internal struggles of the patients, but are often, perhaps even typically, attributed to the mistreatment or neglect of patients by staff members, thus casting the doctors, nurses, and orderlies, and not the patients, as the truly frightening spirits. In this sense, many of these ghost stories are not directly stigmatizing the mentally ill, but instead recognizing the often poor treatment of this segment of the population and offering a criticism of their mistreatment. Indeed, while the ghosts of the patients are said to haunt Poveglia, they were primarily concerned with the punishment of the doctor who had tormented them in life. Now, this seems consistent with the rise in dark tourism surrounding closed asylums over the last several decades, following a series of high-profile cases from the 1960s through the 1990s in which mistreatment of patients at psychiatric hospitals was exposed. So, the ghost stories acting as a criticism of the mistreatment of patients seems good, right? Well, again, it's more complicated than that. While the ghost stories focusing on the mistreatment of patients treat the mistreatment as essentially a mundane day-to-day -day element of these facilities, which is unfortunately often accurate, it is also very common to see the staff turned into something more akin to stock B-movie villains. The psychiatrist who performs horrible experiments on the patients at Poveglia has counterparts at many allegedly haunted psychiatric facilities. While there is a history of the mentally ill being used as experimental subjects, the way that this psychiatrist is portrayed is more akin to a pulp mad scientist than to the frighteningly unremarkable doctors who often actually performed real-world experiments. He, and other folkloric figures like him, is a caricature, someone on whom we can blame the misery of the people condemned to living at Poveglia and other hospitals like it. The problem is that these hospitals were able to operate as they did because most people outside of the institutions were willing to let them go unexamined, and there was little oversight from the authorities as a result. The mistreatment of patients may have been directly caused by hospital staff, but it was enabled by most of society at large. By portraying the staff as nearly superhumanly evil, we allow them to take on more or most of the blame for the failings of the mental health care system, and we absolve the rest of society. After all, who are we, the unwashed masses, to stand up to a literal supervillain? And really, how could we have known that the kindly-seeming doctor was, in fact, a mad scientist bent on evil ends? It is also worth considering the effects of the mistreatment of patients being used primarily as fodder for ghost stories, rather than for more serious, ongoing public policy discussions. In her book, Tales from the Haunted South, historian Tia Miles observes that, while slavery is little touched upon in most plantation tourism in the American South, it is a mainstay of ghost tours at those sites, with the ghost tours often being the only place slavery is presented at all at plantation locations. 
Dr. Miles makes a rather compelling argument that the relegation of slavery to paranormal tourism at plantation sites allows the plantation to separate the realities of slavery from the romantic view of the American plantation, as ghost tours are typically seen as goofy fun. This thereby relegates discussions of slavery to the element of tourism that is, by design, not taken seriously. In addition, as ghosts are, by definition, dead, it seems like relegating slavery to ghost stories is a way of setting it aside as something of the past with no relevance to the here and now. I think a similar process may be at work in terms of these stories connected to psychiatric hospitals. While we tend to hear about the cases of abuse in mental health settings when they are especially egregious, we also tend to think that the days of abusive faux care are a thing of the past. By making such things the subject of ghost stories, making them an entertainment that we can dip into and then out of, we trivialize them. We allow ourselves the freedom to acknowledge them, but not to really reckon with them. We keep them at a distance, minimize them, and relegate them to the past. Moreover, the fact that the ghosts of his victims are said to have killed the evil psychiatrist even allows us to put a cap on this story and place it into the category of not my problem, because it has, essentially, solved itself. The story is structured in such a way that it doesn't make us have to consider whether or not the conditions that allowed for abuse may still be common. It acknowledges abuse, but then deflects scrutiny, allowing the status quo, whatever that may currently be, to go unquestioned. Another thing about the allegedly evil Dr. Nikilovich. In a book that catalogs reputedly haunted hospitals, Mark Leslie and Rhonda Parrish briefly describe the surgeries, and their descriptions sound like a slightly garbled description of lobotomies. Now, lobotomies are no longer performed and were very controversial, even when they were a common part of psychiatric care, due to the effects that they had on patients. They led to drastic changes in personality, diminishing of intellect, and infliction of additional ill effects. They were often feared and are now generally thought of as a sign of barbaric mistreatment of patients. The lobotomy was performed using simple tools and bore little resemblance to modern brain surgery. So I have a suspicion that the experimental surgeries said to be performed were, most likely, lobotomies actually performed in the proper lobotomy fashion which, from the viewpoint of people in more modern times, used to the way that brain surgeries are done now, would definitely sound horribly barbaric. I can find no reference to Dr. Nikilovich himself outside of Leslie and Parrish's book, which is a pretty sensationalistic account, and so I have a suspicion that he's a fictional stand-in for actual psychiatrists who worked at the hospital. This is pretty common in ghost folklore. A single individual, often, but not always, a fictional person, stands in for an entire group or category of people so that we might put a face, even if a fuzzy and ill-defined one, on those who did wrong. In some cases, it is as simple as wanting a character to whom we can attribute past acts, and in others, as I think might be the case here, the fictional or fictionalized person is made so monstrous that they can serve to help us remove ourselves from the possibility of complicity in their crimes. We're not a monster like them, therefore, we're all right. Of course, this can also serve as a way to put a bad face on groups that we are uncertain about. And just as we have a difficult relationship with the mentally ill, we also are often wary of medical professionals who work with them. 
In my life, I have seen psychiatrists and psychologists dismissed categorically as quacks, and they are often portrayed as people who would rather drug you up, or in this case, perform dubious surgeries, than to help you solve your actual problems. While this portrayal is not accurate, it is unfortunately common, and I have to suspect that the evil psychiatrist Dr. Nikilovich is rooted in this uneasiness. The hospital was eventually converted into a retirement home or convalescent hospital, or it may have had one of those as part of it from the get-go. The sources are inconsistent on this point. But even that appears to have shut down in 1968. Of course, elder care facilities have a history of the same type of abuse and neglect as psychiatric hospitals. That said, I could find very little information on this aspect of the island's use, and what few descriptions I could find of the latter days of the place made it sound rather amazingly pleasant. As for the latter-day victims of the spirits, that final family that tried to settle on the island, well, as is common for ghost stories, the victims of ghostly violence seem to be obscured in every telling I could find. It's the last family to settle here, not John and Marcia Smith, who built a cabin in 1977, and here's the assessor's parcel number. This is often a sign of a story being a non-specific urban legend rather than an actual true story. But that works. It allows the victims of the spirits to serve as ciphers, people with no character or internal life onto whom the teller or listener may safely project themselves for the thrill of the haunting and remove themselves when something unspeakable happens. By being vague, it is impossible to prove that these people were real, but it's also impossible to prove that they were not real. This allows the tantalizing possibility of the story being true to hang out there. The very elements that indicate the story is more fiction than fact also serve to make it feel more real for people telling or hearing the story. The only thing that amazes me here is that there's been no horror movie about the island. It's pits of plague bodies, the evil doctor driven to suicide by the ghost of the victims. At least there's been no movie yet. If you have a weird tale, have had a strange experience of your own, or know of a bit of local lore that should get a wider audience, please feel free to contact me at ghostthropology at gmail.com. That's G-H-O-S-T-H-R-O-P-O-L-O-G-Y at gmail. You can find more at kmmamedia.com. Click on the Ghostthropology link and you can find episodes, transcripts, sources, and a link to support us through Patreon. Spooky!